0: Welcome to the Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in just a few moments I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Sarah Condon and R.J. Heyman. We come to you every week to explore a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. I'm glad to have you with us. I guess we've been in this whole pandemic thing for a solid year now. This past Sunday, I think, was a year that there mm. had not been in-person, sort of indoor services at our church, and that's how some of us are marking it.
1: Maybe in um, Virginia.
0: It's also the week that I know a lot of people have gotten vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, I know Sarah
2: is about to go get I vaccinated, the cat of the vaccine. Wow. I'm like so excited. We need less dead people in my family. So, <laughs> my oldest son, my oldest
1: son is off at college and he's getting the vaccine because he apparently is like technically over the BMI requirements, the yes. body mass index. He's like super muscular. He's like 220, yeah. but I was texting him I was like, "Wow, Jack, you've really uh you put on weight, huh, buddy?" And then he uh, he went on Amazon and ordered a scale.
2: Oh no! Don't do that. Anything ridiculous. Anything to get it done.
0: Well, you two, I don't I don't need to get the vaccine. Do you know why?
2: Why did you tell us?
0: (laughs) Because I have just recovered from the COVID virus. I am like one of those soldiers who got shot after D-Day.
2: And um, are you exactly? I'm that... (laughs)
1: Dave, what could you have possibly been doing that would have exposed you to the virus? I mean, haven't you been quarantining and been masking oh, and been safe goodness. all this time?
0: You know, I've done my best. I haven't let it completely dictate absolutely everything, but it was, it if feels ridiculous to avoid it for a year and then get it, and it was not fun. You know, I had like it's like a. People have described it, and you know, I don't know how interesting it is at this point, but you know, it's just like a, a, a pretty severe – for me, it was like a really severe flu with like symptoms mm-hmm. that kept changing all the time. Uh. And the hardest part was uh, you know, my kids and my wife did not get it uh, somehow. So uh, I have a feeling it has to do with my contact with the university. Let's just put it that way. But um, yeah, so, they were, but the, so the hardest part was sort of being quarantined from them. And yeah. negotiating it with the schools and with neighbors and everyone was curious. And it's sort of like a little bit of a, a rubbernecking situation for a bit. And um, But I'm on the other side of it. And honestly, I, I feel maybe a lingering cough, but I'm grateful that it wasn't more than that. Sure. Um,
2: We're all grateful, Dave.
1: Well, but let's be honest, Dave, you quarantining from the kids, was that tougher on you I or tougher like, on Kate? I'm wondering who this really, Sorry, knows. I have to lock myself
2: in the guest room and watch Netflix. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh, I'm so sorry, honey. Really, for the good of the children, I'm going to need two weeks off from parenting.
0: Let's just say I, I binged that Murder Among the Mormons show very fast. Ooh. It was pretty good, by the way.
1: It was a, There's a...
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. What happens? What happened among the Mormons in nineteen
1: eighty four and five? Interesting. Um, I haven't seen that.
0: Yeah, it's Netflix. You know, there's a lot. There's there's no lack of things to binge. Um, but what have you guys been up to otherwise? Uh, you know, while I've been sweating out uh, the 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 deadly virus, the
1: roans.
2: Well, I had the massive, massive gift of getting to be with. Um, family this weekend. So, extended family. And, you know, the, the, the blessing of my parents is that they were very close with both sides. And despite the fact that it is my, my Aunt Becky is my dad's sister, you know, when you think about, and, and you guys, you have parents this age, when you think about how long those people knew each other, I mean, they were really friends for 40 years. Hmm. And, um, So they miss them in the same ways, um, in many ways that I miss them. And so that was, like, really precious. And, you know, there's just so many, like, cousins. Like, you know, I think I've said this before, but we just did the math. Neil is our son who's 10 is the oldest of 20 great-grandchildren. So it was just amazing. They just had so much fun together. So I feel really lifted from that. Um, Grief can be so lonely. Like, I can be around my best, closest friends and feel really, really alone because they didn't know my parents. And so this was just, it was just amazing. So I'm just really thankful right now. Oh, great to hear. Yeah. Yeah.
0: RJ, what's happening in uh,
1: your world? I've seen that uh, people are
2: actually
0: coming
1: to your church, Lent in a tent. Lent Uh, in a tent. It's been great. The weather's been beautiful. Turnout has been incredible. Um, It's been really fun. It's been fun. But yeah, just been working. Um, I did finally get my Florida license plates, which I'm excited about. They're much cooler than my Texas license plates. And my middle son passed his uh, driver's test um, although I can say, because he won't listen to this, the lady who gave him the test was like, "Well, you pass, but only because it's Florida."
2: Basically, <laughs> she oh, said okay. that.
1: <laughs> she said that, and he was he was so sweet. Later, he's like, "I don't feel like I deserve to pass." I was like, "Son, that's what we call grace, and right. you're just gonna you're just gonna drink it in, baby." Uh, but I'm I'm excited for next week. It's spring break and taking a little bit of time off. So uh, yeah, just trying to get things wrapped up this week so i can uh, sort of just be be away for a few days and uh, jackson's coming home from college that'll be real fun my middle son is a friend coming from houston so should be a good time next week looking forward
2: good. to it yeah yeah oh, i'm
0: glad about that that's so funny that the florida dmv sort of acknowledges its floridianness
1: which i'm thankful for i'm thankful yeah. for
2: yeah <laughs>
0: Well, uh, Sarah, I did see a picture of you holding a beautiful little baby this week. And it made me think of this first article, Um, you know, before the pandemic or right at the beginning of the pandemic, there were these predictions that um, that everyone was that there was going to be a big baby boom. As a result of the pandemic, because people will be trapped at home. What else are they going to do? And uh, there's going to nine months later, Jamie's pregnant, just like World War (laughs) Two. And the data is coming out and it's finding the exact opposite to be true. Which is kind of, I find it kind of sad. The, that's this is so from, sad.
1: The, it's the, so Wall- that's certainly not true so in West sad. Palm Beach, man. Every, everyone is either pregnant or pushing
0: a stroller. I'm sorry. Like, I remember you saying that a couple weeks ago, but this is what uh, Margarita Stancati in mm-hmm. the Wall Street in Journal
1: Italy.
0: wrote, <laughs> that a year into the pandemic, early data and surveys point to a baby bust in many advanced economies from the U.S. to Europe to East Asia. A combination of health and economic crises is prompting many people to delay or abandon plans to have children. Demographers uh, warn that the dip is unlikely to be temporary, especially if the pandemic and its economic consequences drag on. The longer this period of uncertainty lasts, the more it will have lifelong effects on the fertility rate. A survey carried out by an Italian research group between late March and early April in Western Europe's five largest countries, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, and the U.K., found that over two-thirds of respondents who initially planned to have a child in 2020 decided to postpone or abandon plans to conceive over the next year. In the U.S., a survey found that one-third of women polled in late April and early May wanted to delay childbearing or have fewer children because of the pandemic. Uh, the Brookings Institution estimated in December that 300,000 fewer babies would be born in the US in 2021 compared with the last year. In France, the number of births in January was down 13.5%, it could keep going. China has yet to release nationwide 2020 population data, but several local governments have reported double-digit percentage declines in the number of births. An added factor is the long-term impact of people being unable to start new relationships during the pandemic. So, I mean, I just toss this up to you. Um, there, there is there's a deep sadness about this because children are hope, you know, babies, just the future. What what does this say about this? I mean, for us as people trying to do ministry and talk about God and hope, like it 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 betrays a profoundly um, hopeless or at least a, a dip in the hope for the future. I think that people have. But
1: um, what, what else? Where did your mind go when you read about this? Well, Dave, you you talk. Let me say, having kids is—it's never a—it's never a sound plan right no. it never makes it never makes no, no, sense no. to have kids never I, a good rem- idea no yeah. never a good idea i remember my uncle and aunt or jamie's uncle and aunt uh saying to us that you know when they were in their whatever's mid late 20s they got together they're like okay like we're working how much money do we have in the bank can we afford children and they're like no no no, we can't afford our children let's wait another year so they waited another year can we afford children no they waited another year finally after about three or four years of this they're like you know what we're never going to be able to afford to have kids we gotta just do it it and trust it's gonna work out and it and it did you know when when it talks about you know people who planned to have children in 2020 I don't know man anytime you're like planning to have kids it's like if, the more thought you put into it the more you're like yeah let's not <laughs> let's just take nice vacations and not have to pay for college and um, get more sleep and uh you know so I think the best thing to do is not to plan it and just to, uh, you know, let things happen. Mm. That's the Heyman plan.
2: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that, you heard everything first. worked out so well. You know, like That's when why we, your when
2: third kid's going to get his driver's license in 40 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a woman, I think I come at this from a different vantage point just because – <laughs> it's like the other story, right. That I keep hearing is how much women's career trajectories or just entire careers have been crushed by the pandemic because it's like, no matter, I mean, I just, I mean, it's not, I hate, I hate to love this, but it makes me laugh every time public radio does one of these stories. Cause I'm just like, how many couples are going to get in a fight tonight after the wife has heard this, but like, <laughs> you know, it's like both of them have full-time jobs. Husbands are really contributing more now than ever. And yet, you know, the mom is the one that's like responsible for the homeschooling and the mom is the one that's responsible for the meal prep. And so, I mean, I'm going to tell you know, Jamie
1: not to listen to this episode. Right. Be like, just pass this one over. It was great. It was just wait for the <laughs> but, next one.
2: But also, like, you know, I mean, that's an important thing. But also, I mean, children having a child is such a profound way of saying, like I have no control over my life. Um, and I'd like to have less. and i'm and I'm and and I have hope for the future. I mean, the couples I know who've gotten pregnant during this pandemic, like I've written them notes and been like it's so hopeful to me that in the midst of this total crisis, you've decided to bring a life into the world. Um like I have deep admiration for that. So, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's definitely a mixed bag, but I mean, having kids is, is just, you're like officially stepping into chaos, you know? Um, And it is sad to me. I mean, life is not meant to be simple. It's not meant to be safe. It's not meant to be um, always well-resourced. I mean, I do, I can hear my mother's voice in my head right now because, you know, they waited, they got married when they were like, she was like 21 or 20 and then they waited a decade to have me and then they waited like almost as long to have my brother and she just said you know there's never enough time and never enough money to have children and that was always like a really reassuring word to me when i was like how are we how are we gonna have our firstborn i'm in seminary josh has this job you know like So I think about that a lot. I mean, I, you know, I work with college students, really brilliant, um, you know, high powered, going to have fabulous jobs, young women. And I hear them say, you know, well, I'm going to wait till I'm 35 to have children. Mm -hmm. And as their priest, I'm just like, freeze your eggs. So that's <laughs> my, it. Might, it you know. might be long. You might
1: be waiting longer than you think.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Well, it just it, it always. So. It, whenever you hear that, you'd be like, "Well, make all the plans you want. You know, mm-hmm. we'll see what see what life, what cards life life deals you." Yeah. Um Because you know, it's it's. I was talking to uh, Jacob Smith earlier, and you know, he was, he was just talking about the, the 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 how difficult, profoundly isolating it's been. For people who are alone during pandemic yeah. and during quarantine. Oh, yeah. Quarantine. But then he's also like, you know, it almost makes you have to wait till you're around other people with small children to be like, well, We've had a separate, I haven't had any alone time. Like, I'm suffering from it. From like, my kid is in my bed every night.
1: <laughs> Until like, I got coronavirus. I'm. Yeah.
2: That's I'm, the only way out.
1: <laughs> it's the only way out.
2: It's to get something that might kill you, is the only way out of having
1: to you dump your What When night. Dave texted no, me, no I was comments. like, I'm so jealous. <laughs> okay, continue. What does Sorry. that say? But, I well. <laughs> Anyway, you
0: know, the, the lack of if you've spent a year being overexposed to your loved ones in a way, there's yeah. been some wonderful moments of it. But I know plenty of marriages and, you know, parental child relationships that could really do with some space at this point. And that's like a, just a different set of problems. It is probably not as acute as the loneliness one. But I know, sure. it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't sometimes really... Uh, the, the people who've gone through this with small children and my sister-in-law is pregnant right now and like the people that are going through this with as, as pregnant and the, the 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 fears involved in that i mean and you know the, the birthing process itself at hospitals is much different and uh you know it's uh i can understand why people would want to wait uh, i just hope it mm. i hope that totally. there's a i just hope we see some it's completely sort of rational
1: <laughs> <laughs> revival don't wait never do it I like, mean, just be just, happy,
2: be happy and free. This is not a peasy thing to say. But when I had babies and when people talk to me, they're like, I just don't know if we have enough money and like health care. And like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I'm like, look, 15 year old girls in Mississippi do this all the time. You will figure it out. OK, right. you have you seen the stats? You will figure it out.
0: Well, readiness is a complete illusion. Let's just put it that way. Right. It's, 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 a, yeah. it's, a, it's a nice uh, illusion. you know, it's, it, uh-huh. Have fun being ready for things because I don't mm-hmm. know anyone who's ever felt ready for anything. Or at least mm-hmm. I've never felt ready for anything. Well, let's move into something uh, slightly more entertaining. I don't know if it's equally depressing, but it's super interesting. A lot of people sent uh, uh, this article my way, including our own Sarah Condon. The Empty Religions of Instagram by Lee Stein, who's a novelist who wrote a book called Self-Care. It's a a pretty incredible novel. Um, And she writes, she says, Many millennials who have turned their backs on religious tradition because it isn't sufficiently diverse or inclusive have found alternative scripture online. Our new belief system is a blend of left-wing political orthodoxy, intersectional feminism, self-optimization, therapy, wellness, astrology, and Dolly Parton. (laughs) That I affirm And we found a different kind of clergy Personal growth influencers Women like Glennon Doyle Who offer spiritual nuns Like us permission, validation and community On demand at a time when it's nearly Impossible to share communion in person We don't even have to put down our phones Miss Doyle and other quasi Spiritual influencers are the latest iteration Of an American institution that has been around Since the second half of the 20th century The tele-evangelist These women are instavangelists. Our screens may have shrunk, but we're still drawn to spiritual counsel, especially when it doubles as entertainment. Uh, And then she talks about, during the years of the Trump administration, I watched two movements collide, an extremely online mode of social justice activism, and the rebranding of diet and beauty culture as wellness and self-care. Then she confesses, she says, I was once one of those millennials who made politics her religion. I lasted three years as a feminist activist and organizer before I burned out in 2017. That's when I began noticing how many wellness products and programs were marketed to women in pain and how the social media industry relies on keeping us outraged and engaged. It's no wonder we're seeking relief. I have survived the pandemic so far by performing the role of tough cookie and shielding myself with cynicism. The only times I've cried has been when religion has punctured the bubble I live in. I cried when the Reverend Raphael Warnock spoke at John Lewis's funeral. And I cried when Garth Brooks sang amazing grace a cappella at the Biden inauguration. And then she says, I have hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager, but the pandemic has cracked open inside me a profound yearning for reverence, humility, and awe. I have an overdraft on my outrage account. I want moral authority from someone who isn't shilling a memoir or calling out her enemies on social media for clout. Left-wing secular millennials may follow politics devoutly, but the women we've chosen as our moral leaders aren't challenging us to ask the fundamental questions that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Questions like, why are we here? Why do we suffer? Why should we believe and beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? The whole economy of Instagram is based on our thinking about ourselves, posting about ourselves, working on ourselves. And then she finishes by saying, there is a chasm between the vast scope of our needs and what influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in the wrong places. Instead of helping us to engage with our most important questions, our screens might be distracting us from them. Maybe we actually need to go to something like church. Contrary to what you might have seen on Instagram, our purpose is not to optimize our one wild and precious life. It's time to search for meaning beyond the electric church that keeps us addicted to our phones and alienated from our closest kin. Hmm. It's an ins- it's very like this. Te- this this one has a
1: bite stuff. Yeah,
2: I um, so I had this wonderful conversation with this this woman that we we have a lot of friends in common, um, and she. But I've never met her in person. She lives in California, and she and I connected because she lost her parents um, in a car accident when she was twenty five years old, and she's the oldest of four. The youngest sibling was twelve. And she was so helpful to talk to because she said things like, you're always going to be sad. She said things like, it'll be really hard um, every time your children have a major milestone and your parents won't be there for it. Um, It's going to be incredibly painful that they will always be in their mid-60s, especially as you get closer and closer to your mid-60s. And it has been those people in my life that have spoken really gospel truth. I mean, I think about, you know, um, the gospel actually for this Sunday. You know, it's sort of midway through this conversation Jesus is having with, you know, this major religious, you know, authority with um, Nicodemus. And Jesus basically says, like, we... We have to, you know, speak the truth. We have to, to, to be in the light like that. You know, like you you have to say what is true to be in the light. And while that sounds like something you might see on Glennon Doyle's Instagram feed, it means something much harder and much sadder and much riskier than any of the shit that we see on these Instagram feeds. I mean, it means really... Facing the fact that for me, one of the hardest things people say to me is that it's going to get better because my brain does this thing where it's like, well, is it going to get all the way better? And what does better look like? And what does does better mean forgetting them? And, um, you know, this this like idea of like I'm working on myself, I'm getting better is just so offensive to me it's just offensive to me. It's like, what, what do you talk? What do you mean? What are you talking about? You know, like where, where is the truth in your life? Where is the context for suffering? And, you know, when I see these, these mostly, I mean, they're all me, right? They're women in their thirties and forties, um, who are white and attractive and, you know, have money. Like when I see them try to like. Sometimes like often co-op suffering, right? Like, especially like leftist co-op, you know, they all have that thing. I mean, to the point that people parody parody it where they kind of come on and they're like, you know, hey, guys, I've been thinking a lot about race in this country, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but what's your suffering? and is this screen the right place for you to even manage that probably definitely not like i just i don't know it 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 i find it such a heartbreaking place so like and it's interesting instagram has become even more difficult for me to like see any of that cuz i'm just like this is this is not real like this is not i mean to use the word the gospel uses like this is not the truth and so many people are consuming it that way. Yeah,
0: I th- and I think that the um, the link to tele-evangelism is a really sort of astute
1: one. It's a good one.
0: The, the, the yeah. How we merge spiritual counsel with entertainment. And what you'll see is I think uh, a lot of... Uh, you see people get a kind of... Um, torn down like uh these influencers we love it when they sort of make the fail when they do the the thing yeah. that gets them kind of c- canceled or whatever the gets term them is. in
2: trouble or then they like pivot in some way and we're all Their like talking. it's apart. just like yeah and it's just like these are real people like i don't know i just it's it's like it's so jarring to me what well,
0: does it does feed a? I well, i thought that that also is interesting where she's they she writes about how Everything is not actually about asking the deeper questions. but about sort of working on yourself, optimizing yourself, mm, yeah, changing yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. It's this conception of life as this upward, you know, project. And, and my yeah. self is... The, it reminded me, in fact, Giles Fraser wrote something this past week about the difference between how we memorialize. That it used to be, um, memorials would always be, we will remember you. And now mm-hmm. memorials are like, please remember me. <laughs> And that, that we've gone from the we to the I, um, mm-hmm. and that how different that is is partly because we don't really believe they're going anywhere. Uh, is right. what it betrays. Uh, but there's a narcissism endemic to this, which I just don't think is avoidable. As people, I mean, I'm on social media for Moth sure. And Burn same, and, yeah. And we're doing these things, and you know, passing around memes, and you know, I think it can be entertaining. But the the second it becomes uh, you know it's all such a cur- religion it's curated authenticity and the reason I didn't um, and curated authenticity is just as curated as curated vulnerability or curated uh, you know perfection and uh, the reason I didn't write about wellness in seculosity you know that's what that's why people keep sending sure. me this article because it's about secularity. is because what it, it is predominantly a fem- female uh, phenomenon and I didn't want right. to write about it as sort of this guy talking above these what's going on out there but right. Tara Isabella Burton in her book *Strange Rights*, she talks about wellness at long length, and it's it's kind of devastating, and it gave me a lot of empathy for people that are. Um, that women, especially who are, there's so much f- to be gained financially f- from companies for keeping these women uh, feeling terrible about themselves and terrible about the world uh, so that they can sell be- beauty products or what is it, Bland's, to people who are um, also thinking that it's, it's going to make them spirit feel better because they're everyone's in such pain. And, yeah. uh, and they, you know, and their Lord knows babies aren't the answer, you know, sounds like. Right. Um, I don't know. Those are some thoughts from me.
1: It's interesting, uh, Dave. I sent you that other article from the Atlantic, which which sort of said the exact same thing, uh, but about not how religion had been replaced by Instagrammers and and um, you know, insta evangelists, but by politics. You know, which is not a new idea, right? And, and that, but that that idea of um, something that keeps us enraged and engaged, right? Angry, and and has our and has our eyeballs. Um, and it just got secularity written, uh, written all over it. Um, Sarah, you know, as you were talking, and this, I, this is what I'm wrestling for this Sunday with my sermon. You talked about how the vision of like living in the truth that's offered by Jesus and offered by Christianity is kind of is more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wrestling with that, right? Whether Christianity, whether it's hard or whether it's easy. You know, is it hard or like what part of it is hard and part of it is easy, and and also what are people looking for? Like it strikes me with these Instagram influencers, what they kind of want to say is, okay, life is hard to a degree, but it, but it could be easy if you just put in the hard work that I'm telling you to put in, Mm. right? Whereas the Christian message seems to be, no, 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 life is really hard. It just is. And it always will be because Mm -hmm. you are hard, Mm -hmm. you are a sinner. And also, Mm -hmm. let's face it, like some of the work that God is doing in your life is through difficulty and and suffering and not joy and success. Totally. But Jesus is easy. Jesus actually, like it may be hard to get up on Sunday morning and get to church, but Jesus is easy easy, right? Like, what does he say to Nicodemus? Like, in, in the same way that the the that Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so too must the Son of Man be, be lifted up. But what did the Israelites have to do? All they had to do was look at the snake and be healed. Like, that's all we have to do is just look at Jesus and be healed. That's it. But it, that's also so offensive because it takes things out of our hands and it also it means we have to acknowledge the depth of our need and the difficulty of life. So that's what's, what's hard is, is life and facing ourselves, but Jesus is easy, almost offensively easy, right? Because it ceases to be about us and the work we put in and our rage and our engagement and our plan, you know? And it's about, um, it becomes about something else. So, um, that's kind of what I'm, I don't know. I'm wrestling through right now. What's hard and what's easy.
2: I mean, I think what I loved, and of course this is like hitting me in such a specific way, but what I loved about that passage, and it makes me think of this sort of inability to really be truthful about ourselves and truthful about the world is. It's too much to take. (laughs) Well, and it was less a sales pitch that Jesus is giving Nicodemus and more of like, this is simply what is. Yes. And that, you know, when people say to me, you know, my friend Callie said to me, um, gosh, when was that? Two days, probably 36 hours after I found out about the accident and I was going to have to go home. And she was packing my bags for me and she held up a robe. My mom had literally sent me like three weeks before for my birthday, monogrammed, beautiful robe. And I said, i won't have anybody to buy nice things for me anymore and she could have said so many things i'll buy you nice things your husband will buy you like people buy you nice things and she said no you don't and it was such a relief to me it was such a relief to me to have someone just tell me the truth you know and i think that's like when you see these these people who on instagram who you know are just selling themselves and and having uh, and then and asking us to sort of like it's this weird like cannibalism where we then like buy a piece of them and consume it and then don't feel any better right like it's none of it is true
1: And that's, it's funny what you said, Sarah, because I think so much of the time, the rap that religion gets is that it's escapism, Yes. you know, and it's actually the exact opposite. It's
2: not at all. Like Jesus,
1: Jesus saves you so that you can face reality. Yes. The rest of this is escapism. The rest of this is illusion, you know, just do this and, 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 uh, you know, the law says do this and it is never done. (laughs) You know, grace says, believe this and everything is already done. That's uh, a disputation. Um, but you know the the influencers, uh, the the the, polit- the talking heads, you know, do this, you know, do th- no, yes. it just makes you more and more angry and more yes. and more in denial and more and more exhausted. And Jesus says, believe this, and it is done, and it gives you the ability to face the reality of your life.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all 100%. coming from a place of, uh, I guess, what you what we would call semi-Pelagian like uh, you and you and your higher you always power always have to
2: google that but yeah. working together. <laughs> well, it's like uh, God helps
0: those who help themselves. It's right, it's, it's right, some right. F- version of that and it's I understand cuz people it's an attempt it's to It's ad- not salvation. It's an attempt to address a core pain though. It's that people don't it like is. I don't like it, their lives and they want yeah. some sort of they they feel this hope this
2: mascara is going to fix my life.
0: <laughs> well, they feel hope when someone acknowledges that they're sort of imperfect, but then all of a sudden yes. the longer you're around you're like they're only acknowledging a very thin slice of imperfection and it always seems to be linked to some sort of product and you get the, anytime money gets in there, you know, it just, it kind of takes out the, um, it's has a way of undermining the authority. You know, we're back to Mm -hmm. AA again, you know, like where somehow if you take the, I can trust something that doesn't seem to need my, my cash. And that's the thing I want to give my most of my money to,
1: you know? Um, I was going to say, let's, Let's be honest. Like we all do this too. Like I oh, don't want to talk about course. them. I don't want to talk about them too much because this is me. Like, this is my heart. If I just find the right coach, the right strategy, the right theology, the, the right plan. Watch. The girl, I
2: ordered a watch last night at 11 p.m. from Instagram. <laughs> okay. Oh, I
1: okay? know. I so all, it's like this is why I gotta go to church. Why I gotta preach to remind myself that all that yes. stuff is just and it's all idols that will take and take and take and never give back. And I need savings, so I knew. But Let I know, just, know that I,
2: packaging I, I, is gonna be cute, so yeah. Here we are.
1: <laughs> oh well. So sorry, Dave. I interrupted you.
0: No, you, I love hearing that. I think that what's really fascinating about the article is when she admits that the times that she's cried has been when religion has punctured the sort of bubble this because, because the bubble of the sort of instant influencers, it's like, it basically tells you what you want to hear. It's just hard enough on you to make you think you can fulfill this law or to make, Mm -hmm. it's not never, never so hard that you're like, well, screw it. I'm, uh, Mm I, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a soft law, you might say. Um, and that kind of gives you a little bit of uh, you know juice in the tank but when she says when she started crying though when something really got to her was when Raphael Warnock uh, prayed at at John Lewis's funeral and then when Garth Brooks sang Amazing Grace now yes that's clearly in both cases that's tied to what she calls her political activism and the, the seculosity of politics and yet the, the referencing in both of those things of a longer tradition of a higher authority and of Authority of love, authority of mercy, uh, as as mm. as born out in in uh, a specific tradition tied to Jesus Himself. In fact, I think that that's no no joke, and it, it just goes to show you that the real traffic with God is the is the heart traffic, is where we are living, uh, which which. Um, we're actually usually not living at the realm of the head, but the heart. And, uh, you know, we talk about this a lot. It's one of our favorite refrains, but I saw it articulated uh, just in the most moving way by James K.A. Smith in Christian Century last week. He wrote this uh, essay called The Intelligence of Love. And it's an essay, it's about what they asked a bunch of thinkers how um, they had changed their minds, and to sort of talk about things that they changed their minds about. And he quotes Marcel Proust, saying, "Every day I set less store on the intellect." He writes, huh. um, "As a young Christian philosopher, I wanted to be the confident heresy hunting Augustine, vanquishing the pagans with brilliance, fending off the Manicheans and the Pelagians with ironclad arguments. As a middle aged man, I dream
2: of being same Ms. girl."
0: I, I, I dream of being Mr. Rogers. Yes. When you're young... That's RJ.
2: Yeah. yeah, it
0: is. Oh, my
1: God. Please, let me... Please, Lord. When you're
0: young, it's easy to confuse strength with dominance. When you're older, mm-hmm. you realize the feat of character it takes to be meek. I used to imagine my calling was to defend the truth. Now I'm just fig- trying to figure out how to love. It's not that I've given up on truth. It's just that I'm less confident we'll think our way out of the morass and malaise we find in which we find ourselves. Analysis won't save us. And the truth of the gospel is less a message to be taught than a mystery enacted. Love won't save us either, of course, but I've come to believe that the grace of God that will save us is more powerfully manifested in beloved community than in rational enlightenment. Or, as von Balthasar has put it, love alone is credible, nothing else can be believed and nothing else ought to be believed. What changed my mind? What made him sort of less of a rationalist? Well, the catalyst was a season of dark depression. None of my analytical skills helped me claw my way out of the lonely trench in which I found myself, alienated from those right next to me. This experience was humbling on a number of registers, including intellectually, because I confronted a challenge that refused to be solved by analysis. All of my vocational confidence in the power of reason was quite literally humiliated in the face of depression. I couldn't think my way out of this. Instead, a hand reached down into that dark pit. It was the hand of a Christian counselor, and he didn't just reach down into the pit, he jumped down there beside me. And so he gets to the the end of the essay, and he says, Well, what does it look like, then, to bear witness to the truth in a way that is a tractor-beam of the heart rather than a conqueror of the intellect? To write with allure rather than acuity? Writing that is relevatory not because it discloses but because it draws, pulling, enticing, inviting souls that are feeling their way in the dark to grab hold of the hand of grace? I have the sneaky suspicion this looks more like poetry than philosophy, that such work is accomplished more by novelists than theologians.
2: So good. I mean, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is, and I heard someone say this recently, who was it? I can't say who it was, but it was like a prominent. It was me. It was a prominent (laughs) figure in the church. It was RJ. Oh, it wasn't me. I'm sorry. It it was RJ. No, it was a prominent (laughs) figure in the church who said, we just got to get back to the basics you know uh love your lord god with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself totally and i was like what like that's the law honey like we're not what are you what like we have this thing where we think that the basic the most basic tenet of christianity is that we are called to love and really, the most basic tenet of Christianity is that we were scooped up out of a hole and rescued, right? That is that is the basics. Amen. Like, if you want to talk about the basics, that's the basics. We did nothing, and somebody saved our sorry asses. Like, that's step one. So... It's just, you know, this like echoes that to me. And does love come out of that rescue? A hundred percent. Is that rescue driven by love? A hundred percent. Do we find ourselves when we truly understand that exchange that has happened? Do we find ourselves as people more willing to love, more willing to ask the question, but do, but can we love this person? But can we love this community of people? Yes but you know i i love this so much because it recognizes that like this i mean the the law is to love right i mean Mm -hmm. that you know and we when we start there we're we've already failed so Mm -hmm. we're just standing in a hole in the middle of nowhere going like i just want to love somebody you know like that's what that looks like (laughs) like I don't know. True.
0: Tr- true. Totally. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the, the, the command and to Everybody's love.
2: like, stay away from that hole. She's really needy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> She's going to try to love you really bad. <laughs> we don't go out there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Rutger, where are you? Well, ever since you said Mr. Rogers, that's all I can think about because mm-hmm. uh, I do want to be Mr. Rogers. I, I preached on Mr. Rogers a couple week uh, weeks ago, and one of my parishioners told me the most amazing story about him, which I'd never heard before, which is... Bill. Um, Bill. I'm sorry. I said spill. Spill. Tell us. Yeah. Yeah, So she's a teacher. She's a teacher, and she had worked at a preschool near Orlando. And you know, Mr. Rogers went to Rollins College, which is kind of um, it's in Winter Park, isn't it, Dave? Affirmative. That's right. Yeah. And so this little school um, had had a wonderful and beloved head of school that everyone just loved, and the kids loved. um, And she got cancer, Mm. and so uh, she was sick, and she went in for her surgery, and it was really successful. And they were sort of walking the kids through this because she'd been away and they, they were not quite sure how to deal with it, but it was successful surgery. They got the tumor, um, she came back. And then like two days later, she just died. She oh, just died. No they word. thought they got it and they didn't. And they got all the kids together. And they're like, how do we How do we break the news that this beloved head of school has passed away? And they get all the kids together and they and there's a knock on the door. And guess who it is?
2: No. It's Mr.
1: Rogers. And he shows up and he spends the entire day with the children and he plays piano and he sings songs and he talks to them about death. He says he walks mm-hmm. and he says, I understand, I understand um, that someone very special to you has died. And and my and and Kitty Drew, she's my the lovely member of my church, said it was the most unbelievable thing. And no one will ever tell you that story except the people that were there because he just, you know. The wind blows where it, where it chooses. Uh, where it comes from and where it's going, nobody knows. So, is that the most amazing no, thing? But but someone ought to put it, that like, on to Instagram. To my
2: point, like, he showed <laughs> Yo, we up. Should and
1: should totally put that on Instagram. <laughs> Just on Instagram, 100%. percent
2: <laughs> He told the truth, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, he didn't yeah. show up to those kids and say, like, it's going to get better. Like, he showed up and was like, you lost something precious.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yes, he told. That was his thing, man. It's like kids can handle it, and kids can yes. handle it. Oh, kids, my 4 year my four-year-old is obsessed with the with the memorial garden. He's like, Dad, tell me about those boxes again. <laughs> tell me about the ashes in there. Tell me about the dead bodies. Yeah, like, I'll tell you. You yes. know, it's uh, they can handle it. We can't, but they can.
0: What Mr. Rogers seems to have understood on a very, very deep level, and what that show yes. is so about, it's not. It's not arguing with kids, and it's certainly not trying to teach them anything beyond the language of the heart, and yeah. um, that's what. This we did an episode of the the brother Saul where we talk about ab reaction and this is mm-hmm. a, basically as people involved in ministry we realize all of our brothers and we learned this from our father we're constantly looking for stories and works of art and television shows and movies that are moving us on a profan- making us cry Soul. Or, and laugh Laugh things that are getting us to ab react because we realize that's usually not only the place where we can meet God but that's sometimes God's voice. That's actually totally. God's voice to us. It is. We watch Breaking some yes. movie at that time, and it's like God speaks to us through that. And it's I still can't believe Tangled. Okay, keep I on. weep
1: every time, but continue. <laughs>
0: it's just like I'm so embarrassed every time he says Tangled. Um, <laughs> you know, it's clearly different strokes, right? The but that but that sense is like that's what I'm searching for in a sermon is to yeah. again is to to get people Weep. to cry. I remember there's always yes. that Tim Keller always had that line is like, you know, I know to I failed.
1: Manipulate emotionally.
0: Well, I know I failed at the end of the sermon if if I, I'm happy if people are taking notes at the beginning because they're nice good presbyterians, but if yeah. they're still taking notes at the end and uh, then I know I failed. Because mm. I have to you have to go beyond the head in order to actually reach people. On anything beyond, and oftentimes, as we find out, the intellectual is a defense against the heart. You know, of I don't want to deal yes. with what I'm really feeling, so I will remain at the cerebral, and I will c- continue to fend off anything that gets too close to what I'm actually dealing with. Um, yeah. But that's what, So it's so, it's incredible that James K.A. Smith is saying this. And Augustine, remember how we talked last, last time about my, my, my brother who, who was playing that video game? And in order yeah. to, 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 to get him out of it, he didn't need to be argued out of it. It didn't work at all. He had to, yeah. in fact, find, a, there was a game that he liked more. His heart was engaged. Yeah. Anyway, that's, where I'm, that's what I'm thinking about. I find it to, to be a tremendously hopeful roadmap, and it doesn't undermine t- the truth at all. Especially if the truth right. is that God is after your heart, you know, <laughs> I don't know. If
1: yeah. It's like, you know, uh, blues clues may teach you what things are, but they're not going to like teach you how to live. Mr. Rogers will teach you how to live. You know, it's, it's RJ, not about
0: what, what is it about tangled that actually speaks to you? Come on. Yeah. Just, just, just tell us
1: now. Is it the hair? Okay. 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 It's the scene. There's a lot of things. Okay. There's um, a lot. Okay. There is. I, I feel like when I watch that movie, I, f- I feel like in my like life is um, is sort of being trapped in a tower, right? Being enslaved mm-hmm. to um, fear. Um, sometimes being enslaved to parents who didn't want what was best for you, but were using you to satisfy their own um, needs or 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 um, neuroses. Um, and then you know the scene where her her fa- uh, her father and mother every year. Light these candles on her birthday out of hope that she'll return back to them, and she learns that these lights she sees on the horizon are like her her father calling out to her that that life is more than what she's experiencing just in this trapped place. Um, I find to be really profound. Like I I feel like the the king it, it, it's it's we live these impossible lives, and yet God is is constantly throwing up these signals like mm. it's, life is more. Than your little tower it's it's more than the abuse you've suffered it's more than your pain it's more than your fear like you are my child and i'm here for you and i love you and nothing will change that and the the look like i think about jesus mourning over jerusalem and saying how i long to gather you as a as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you would not and i i see like that kind of i see god's longing in like the the tears of the, the this mourning father just longing for his children to come back. So that's, that's so what it
2: just, good. It,
1: kill, it just kills me, man. Like, and plus that that song, that scene where they're out in the in the boat and the water and those, I wish, I actually looked into it. I was like, could we do the fire lanterns? You know, cause we're right by the water. It's like, what if yeah. we let fire lanterns? And of course you can't do it because it just sets everything on fire and it's all totally illegal, you yeah. know? But when they go up, um Yeah. I mean, what's the, what, uh, like at last I see the light. Is that the song they sing? Like at last I see the light. And when I really encounter God, when I have a moment where I feel like the love, the grace, the mercy of Jesus has broken into my life, it's like at last I've seen the light, the fog has lifted Mm. and it gives me the joy and the energy to like actually live life in freedom and not in, in sort of, um, captivity. So anyway, That's it. That's all it is. (laughs) That's a lot. No, thank you. Day feels less
0: embarrassed now. I feel like totally silenced, in fact. So thank you.
1: I mean, have you seen it recently? Some would call it Lesser
0: Disney, but maybe
1: it's not. Um, I I disagree. I actually think. I actually think it's like one of the, I think it's one of the best Disney movies. Okay, I've I need loved, to re That's just me. That. But I've been that's thinking
0: about this in terms of ministry and where does ministry begin? Because I had to, I was, you know, through a variety of circumstances, I ended up having to preach a sermon while I was sick with COVID. <laughs> and um, the sermon uh, was about, um, you know, uh, the money changers and people. Uh, people mm-hmm. being uh, overturned, and obviously my life had been overturned, but mainly it was Jesus overturning the sort of uh, the ladder of, of merit, uh, the hierarchy of merit when it came to God. People were translating oh. their, their financial merit into spiritual merit, and he said, no, oh. done. This not, not <laughs> no, is not on my watch. And that's what made him violate his sort of character in these regards. But I'm thinking like... The way that I, the only way in I had to this sermon, because I was only semi lucid when I was writing it, um, oh was the fact that I had just fallen off the ladder of merit in uh, to sort of as a basically responsible uh. adult in uh, 2020. Uh. I 21. I'd done the one thing, that uh, or had the one thing had happened to me that was um, not cool, or that was uh, people say, oh. It, every it's totally by chance. There's it's completely you arbitrary. The unforgivable sin. But you can tell in their eyes there's a little bit like, what did you really you do to get this? Ass. Like what? Yeah. What is? Yeah. What is wrong with you? Like what? How on earth? Like what, who sinned? This man or his brother? Clearly this man. <laughs> and So I'm writing this thing, but the only
1: the degree to such which, an antinomian. I
0: hope it came across. The only way, if it did come across, it was because I was personally feeling the shame of my own ladder of merit getting sawed in half, and the pretense that I erect on social media of being someone who has any kind of wisdom to share, getting uh, just undermined by my, my life circumstances. And it also, it, it strikes me as well as I'm trying to get through some writer's block and begin writing this next book. And... Um, I was, I was actually I had the benefit of talking to my father about it. I was like, well, he said, like, well, stop, think, stop thinking about where you need to begin uh, intellectually. Think about where you need to get to emotionally. And emotionally, mm. I, I, what I needed to, the word regret was the one that has been haunting mm. my, um, it's not nostalgia, just regret, thinking about the past and things I, I would have done, I would have liked to have done differently. And the otherwise thinking of regret, and that to me, all of a sudden, that heart um, knowledge or that that uh, that whole subject that opened up something I actually wanted to write about that relates to my head, and I'm not going to sort of spill the precise contours of the the regrets that I'm that are so acute right now, but it um, it it has it helped that I had just gotten COVID too, so. <laughs> because no. I regretted that. Anyway, yeah. that's just to say, I think it, we connect with other people to the extent that our heart is engaged, not our minds. And people hear that and they think, oh, are you sort of denigrating the mind? And all I'll say is what Proust says is that every year I set less store on the intellect. Mm. I put more store on Tangled, I guess. I, I guess that's what, I guess that's <laughs> the bottom line. That's
2: what you're careening towards.
0: <laughs> well, um... Well, our final um, item here is I would just mention Tim Keller, the Presbyterian sort of superstar preacher, who wrote something in the Atlantic, "Growing My Faith mm. in the Face of Death." He's just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and oh, um, I
2: didn't know that. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. a real it's a it's a it's a, it's a real thing, I and mean, I'm I'm my, my aunt died of pancreatic cancer. Um, and he writes very stirringly about it in a way that I think actually resonates with a lot of the things we've been talking about today. He say, he writes, uh, as the early American philosopher Jonathan Edwards argued, it is one thing to believe with certainty that honey is sweet, perhaps through the universal testimony of trusted people, but is another to actually taste the sweetness of honey. The sense of the honey's sweetness on the tongues brings a fuller knowledge of honey than any rational deduction. In the same way, it is one thing to believe in a God who has attributes such as love, power, and wisdom. It is another to sense the reality of that God in your heart. The Bible is filled with sensory language. We are not only to believe that God is good, but also to taste his goodness, the psalmist tells us. Not just to believe God is glorious and powerful, but also to see it with the eyes of our heart, as it says in Ephesians. On December 6, 1273, Thomas Aquinas stopped writing his monumental Summa Theologi. uh, When asked why by his friend Reginald, he replied that he had had a beatific experience of God that made all his theology seem like straw by comparison. That was no repudiation of his theology, but Thomas had seen the difference between the map of God and God himself, and a very great difference it was. While I cannot claim that any of my experience of God in the past several months have been beatific, they have been deeper and sweeter than I have known before. And his, his wife's name's Kathy. He says, to our surprise and encouragement, Kathy and I have discovered that the less we attempt to make this world into a heaven, the more we are able to enjoy it. No longer are we burdening it with demands impossible for it to fulfill. We have found that the simplest things from the sun on the water and flowers in the vase, to our own embraces and conversation, bring more joy than ever. This has taken us by surprise. This change was not an overnight revolution. As God's reality dawns more on my heart, slowly and painfully and through many tears, the simplest pleasures of this world have become sources of daily happiness. It is only as I have become, for lack of a better term, more heavenly-minded that I can see the material world for the astonishingly good divine gift that it is. I can sincerely say without any sentimentality or exaggeration that I've never been happier in my life, that I've never had more days filled with comfort, but it is equally true that I've never had so many days of grief. One of our dearest friends lost her husband to cancer six years ago. Even now, she says, she might seem fine and then out of nowhere, some reminder or thought will sideswipe her and cripple her with sorrow. Yes, But I've come to be grateful for those sideswipes because they remind me to reorient myself to the convictions of my head and the processes of my heart. When I take time to remember how to deal with my fears and savor my joys, the consolations are stronger and sweeter than ever.
2: What punishments of God are not also gifts. Mm -hmm. Along those
1: lines, I've met three men recently who all lost sort of either, either late adolescent or early adult sons. And for different reasons, you know, I, it could have been suicide or, or overdose, or one just died and they never, mm-hmm. they never figured out why. But the interesting thing about these three men is that somehow mysteriously, this, the, the death of their child um, was kind of the making of their faith in the, in, the weirdest, in the weirdest way um and i i just i've been really struck by that recently like when the when the worst when the thing you you most wish had never happened you know or you, are you mo- yeah you know what colbert says yeah um somehow uh god breaks in in this incredibly powerful way in a way that almost it, it i don't want to say it makes your life that sounds terrible um but i don't know you know that that suffering doesn't do what we think it's going to do necessarily God doesn't work the way we think he's going to.
2: I just feel like you have to lose so many days. Like that's what I'm realizing. You have to lose so many days in order to realize how precious days are. Like, mm. like I had to lose so much time with my parents in, in in so many ways to like, like I said to Josh a few days ago, I was like, I'm, I'm like kind of excited that like it's Monday tomorrow and we get like a whole week as a family and like, like, it, I totally identify in so many ways with what Tim Keller is saying, and I feel lucky that I'm getting that at 38, even though I've come by it in literally the most painful way one can come by it. Does that make sense? Mm. Like, so much has been lost, but also, yeah, I mean, I just... I marvel at my kids in a way I don't feel like I ever have before. And, and I also don't have space or time for, um, anger, like in, in (laughs) like, and sort of like getting riled up about things and, I'm just like oh like that like there's not there's not a lot of time left even though you know i probably said this here. one of the worst things people can say to me is like oh well you're you'll see your parents again soon and i'm like yeah so in my family we live like old testament years um so i could be like 140 before i die <laughs> like so i mean that's a long time but thank you you know um it it and I so I'm aware of the fact that I really could live another fifty years at thirty eight years old um but also like, oh my God, I could get another fifty years like it's just it's it has made me I don't know if happier is the right word, but like much more. I mean, just much more aware of the preciousness of things and so thankful that I get to live in it. And and also so aware that things, you know, I mean, people really idol- idealize clergy, like um, that we, d- we that we aren't super ambitious, that we aren't climbing our own ladder we've created in our head, that we don't want lots of followers on social media, right? And of course, we're people, we're wounded, broken people. So we want all of those things. But I have to say a lot of that desire has been taken away from me and it's a huge relief. Uh. It's like, oh, I can just do what I was put here to do, which is to Uh. like, love these people put into my care, love my family that's been put into my care. And that's, and that's enough, you know, like Uh. that's enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is that, I mean, people don't like to hear me say it, but it totally is that like what punishments of God are not also gifts. Like you're just like, you know, live in that where the top part, the, you know, the, the vertical and the horizontal beams of the cross meet.
0: Wow. I was thinking about it this week in terms of like, did coronavirus Give me any kind of sense like a brush with death and i i in all honesty not really like i didn't think oh I could die from this, you know um i just i did, maybe that's just a total naivete, but my, and my wife could could always um she sort of accuses me of having a slight death wish. Like I, I could, I could sort of be like, all right with that, you know? It's like, well, that, would, that could, could take me out, and then I could this the veil of tears would be over. I, I could just sort of move on. But yeah, That's you can rest. I, I can to Live as
1: Christ to die as gain, Kate. Yeah, no,
0: I definitely actually have a little bit of that Good in luck, me, Kate. which might be sociopathic. I don't know, but it, uh, I, I, but I. So when I hear what Keller is talking about. I I do think that illness roots you in your, sickness roots you in your body and then for in the Mm -hmm. present tense a little bit more when you're having these chills and you're just sort of in, it's the same way exercise does that a little bit. And I'm always struck by, um, especially, you know, as as Mockingbird's been, you know, my work for so long, sometimes it can feel like you're trying to convey theological information or a set of uh, a, a, a grid, a law and gospel, or these things which I really value and treasure. But again, it's that's that's the map of of God, and there's yeah. that difference from experiencing the reality and the truth of of God, and the, di- yeah. the difference between d- descriptions of the honey and actually tasting the honey. So that I, I as I get older, like that's where I want to live more. Um, and that's where I feel personally like I meet God more than in a really beautiful argument or um, even beautiful language. I want it's more like stories and uh, the the language of the heart is where I want to live. And that's one of the reasons why I love music so much because I think that that is the language of my heart. Um, that's where I that's why I go there. And uh, it, it did have the slight impact though of getting me um, a little bit. I had a moment of like, do I want to leverage this for social media love? Like, do I want to, like, Mm. ask for Uh. quote unquote, ask for prayer or get people sympathizing? And, like, I I did include the information as relates to the sermon because I thought it might give a little bit more oomph. But um, at the same time, I just, I also just wanted to feel better. And, uh, 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 yeah, maybe God, that was a gift of God through this unexpected and extremely inconvenient, uh, Experience of the last two weeks.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, RJ. What, any other thoughts from you? Tim Keller has Tim Keller has cancer. You know, and and we. Uh, he's been such an amazing servant of God, and he's he's, yeah. he's done so many things and touched so many lives, and no one gets out of here alive. <laughs> you know, yeah. like my grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness, my power is made is made perfect. Um, and I think it's just a reminder that if anyone is expecting that faithfulness to God means that life will be easy in that kind of way um it's another reminder that that's not the way life works but it is but it is better with God in it you know than it is uh without him um so just my prayers for him and for for kathy and for his family and um I'm just I'm personally thankful for his his ministry which has been powerful in my life and um yeah, mine too yeah praying for his healing
2: yeah he's like one of those guys that like i was so thankful that god just like like just like stabbed my heart in seminary with a classmate who was like very conservative from a more conservative denomination i mean i've talked to him before everyone kind of like ostracized him and sort of like the uh quote unquote cool episcopal crowd which like let's be clear never cool not cool um And, and this guy was just like, he, he, I've told the story before, but he was the one who like, you know, when I was pregnant with our son, like came and asked if he could pray over me, like just, mm. he led with his heart mm. and it was such a powerful experience for me that it allowed me like when he was one of the first people that suggested that I read Tim Keller and I mean, uh, Tim Keller's ministry has has powerfully shaped mind. So and this is such sad news, but I'm, um, I'm so heartened that he's willing to, like, write about it in the midst of being in it.
1: Hmm. He's
0: also written a book about Easter, which I think will be... Will be um, he talks about revisiting some of that after the diagnosis. And, mm-hmm. you know, the difference... What is it the, um the difference is C.S. Lewis between the, the problem of pain versus uh, the, a grief observed, like one is sort of the intellectual and one is the actual experience of it, and maybe maybe yeah. there'll be something of that to look forward to. Um, I don't know, but I know that uh, I'm grateful to be feeling better, and I always feel uh, in you know in my Thank heart you, better after getting to talk to
1: you too. See you so in a couple of weeks. Saying, Have a good spring break. Um,
0: Thank you both, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. And at
2: last I see the light And it's like the fog has lifted And at last I see the light
0: Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.embird.com, and we'd always love to hear from you at info@embird.com. Audio production for the Mockingcast is provided by T.J. Hester. And if you like what you've heard, please drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. Until next time.
2: Praise the Lord.